Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts, uh, EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. My name is Hal Bryan, and we've got uh, kind of a three-person panel today. So uh, rather than hosts and guests, I think it's something all of us will be participating in. So uh, joining me at the end of this particular table... Uh, Rick Larson, um, EAA's Vice President of Communities and Member Programs. And over there at the other end. Yeah, it's Sean Elliott, Vice President of Advocacy and Safety at EAA. Excellent. Well, guys, uh, I appreciate your taking the time to uh, to come on today. I think this is going to be a fun discussion. Uh, we're going to sit and talk about something that uh, all of us have varying degrees of experience in. Um, I'm certainly not as hardcore as you two guys, but it's something that's been part of my life uh, for, for decades, and that is uh, RC model flying. Absolutely. So let's uh, start out, uh, before we get into too much of the, the detail, um, Rick, we'll start with you and then, then run over to Sean. Uh, what's your uh, sort of background with RC? When did you get started doing RCs? Well, I mean, this has been uh, you know, now almost a, a lifelong deal. Um, you know, kind of grew up in a family where uh, modeling was you know, a big deal at the time, you know, a, a brother flying a lot of control line and that. And, uh, you know, by the time I was 10 or 11, um, got into the RC side with with my dad and my brother. And, uh, you know, I've stuck with it ever since. I mean, it's just been a, um, you know, to me, a great side of aviation that complements the full-scale side in a, uh, in a really nice way. But, yeah, it goes all the way back, and uh, you know, just a uh, a lot of good memories along the way. About how old were you? You think when you when you first were like regularly flying or comfortably flying? Yeah, probably twelve or thirteen. Um, uh, you know, we uh, this was you know goes back to the days in Chicago and the Chicagoland RC Club, and uh, you know, we were. Uh, I think my first AMA card goes back to nineteen seventy, wow. and so. Uh, you know, it was, you know, kind of in the, you know, now you look at it and go, well, that's kind of the early days of RC. And it certainly was the early days of, of more what I would call those, the reliable RC sure. days, you know, with digital proportional and that. Right. So Sean, how about, uh, how about you? Um, not that different than what Rick just described. Uh, my family also uh, was a modeling family as well as a full-size uh, aviation family. Um, as a kid growing up, we had Bonanzas and also model airplanes. And I actually started flying control line, uh, same age. Um, I think my first experience with a ringmaster was probably eight. And then started building and flying and then competing by 12 to 13 and actually got to the competition level at the at the nationals, AMA nationals. Wow. Uh, that uh, in 82, I won junior and was just very, very enthralled and immersed um, in the modeling, building and flying side. And then as I went off to pursue a, a full-size aviation career, it stayed with me my whole life. It's, wow. it's something. And I fly RC today. Rick and I fly together. It's a, it's, it's a common bond. It really does. Uh, it really does stick with you. And we were talking before we got started about how I think there's some people out there who see it as a linear progression. But Sean, you use that term uh, parallel activity that as all of us have gone on to enjoy, you know, flying uh, recreationally or being involved in aviation professionally in one way or another. Um, 
just because we've we've sort of moved into full scale flying, it doesn't mean that uh, any of us ever turned our back and said, "Well, I don't want to do models anymore." Now I do the now I do the big things. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Hal, it's funny. I, I can be standing out at the RC field putting on a maiden first flight on a brand new airplane that, you know, a lot of uh, pain under the fingernails and, you know, blood, sweat and tears went into. And the sensations, the anxiety, the 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 thrill, um, the overall just uh, excitement of, of that activity and flying is no different than if I climb into a new World War II warbird sure. um, and take a first flight in it and start to learn about it and, and what it's special about that particular uh, airplane. It, it's the same feelings, whether you're doing RC or full size. But I, I think that's a very powerful point. In addition to this idea of it being this parallel activity, I think there's there's something that if you are, you know, just deep in your soul, if you're an aviation person, you know, you, you like watching things fly, you like making things fly, you, you like being in things when they fly, you just... You just like all of it, and it all scratches sort of a different flavor of that uh, that same itch. Yeah, I, 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 you know, Hal, I, you know, I think what you're what you're hitting on is is really critical. I mean, I I talk about it all the time. You know, on a, a nice morning, nice evening, you know, I'm I'm making a decision: do I want to go out to the airport and go fly the Cub, which I love, um, or do I want to go out to the RC field and go fly RC? And and you know, there's a, a very similar level of satisfaction with both activities, the way I look at it. And, you know, that's always a choice to be made. You right. know, it's only when it's blowing 25 miles an hour that I think about going and playing golf. <laughs> Exactly. Really good days, you get to fl do both. I've had been plenty of days yeah, where I've absolutely. spent the morning flying something full size, and then by afternoon I'm out at the RC field or yep. vice versa. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for me, uh, RC flying was the thing that uh, uh, initially that my my oldest brother did. My big brother uh, Chris is no longer with us, um, but that was a thing that uh, you know we were uh, uh, an aviation family. We were living on a uh, private uh, full-scale private airstrip out near seattle and so my brother uh, really got into rc and so i was looking over his shoulder a lot when i was a little bit too young and then i got um my first rc model was uh, uh this would have been mid 70s maybe 76 77 somewhere in there it was a uh, cox electric motor glider the sportavia that was based on the like that was at the fournier motor glider so a big styrofoam thing and of course back then you know, the electrics were nothing like what they are now. Right. So, you know, this thing was beautiful and big, graceful wing, but I think it, you know, it probably weighed 500 pounds of just batteries um, and everything else. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the best performer and I loved having it and sort of fussing with it, um, but I didn't get great at, at flying with it. That took another few years before uh, I got started with another buddy who had a, a, a SIG cadet the the classic i, mean, I don't know anybody right. who starts on a sig cadet and doesn't just get into it and do well yep well you know it's one of the reasons you know and, and i know we'll talk about some of the program but it's, it's exactly one of the reasons we chose that model um for one of our programs here for the build and fly program that to get our chapters and clubs involved in rc um it's just a great flying airplane and you know it's uh it's big enough where you know it's it's easy to fly, performs well, um, great airplane. Right. 
Now, something that uh, we were touching on this a little bit ago about how, you know, this is something that sort of scratches that aviation uh, aviation itch just in a different way. Um, something that I know I learned from either sort of watching my big brother or then getting into it myself and doing things hands-on over the years. And I would say I learned this even from uh, dabbling in control line a little bit, but also even in free flight stuff is I learned a lot about um, at a very instinctive, instinctual level about what an airplane should look like and how or it, when it's flying or in other words, what that f- aviation should look like, how what it should how it should behave. You know, what does uh, what does a stall look like? You know, you get one of those little rubber powered free flight things and overdo it and you've got the wings laid too far forward and you go up and you see a series of stalls that sets in, I think, deep in your mind. And I know that uh, that early immersion has made me, uh, I don't want to say it's made me a better pilot because I'm, I'm no, nothing spectacular in the cockpit, but it's made me grasp uh, the fundamentals so much more. Are there things you guys have learned from from flying the models? You, you know how it's, it, it's, it's funny you mention that because to me, it, it's a lot like AirVenture. When, when, you, when you arrive at AirVenture, you have all these different disciplines of aviation all at your fingertips, all different types of flying, but all connected together. The same thing in model aviation very much so exists. And free flight, which you just mentioned, uh, while that by outward appearance looks to be the simplest form of model aviation is in fact is the most challenging and complex and teaches you in many respects the most lessons possibly learned about all aspects of how things fly Um, and you know becoming good at trimming understanding um, how to build things accurately and light and straight Uh, those are all skills that apply to so many other facets of life let alone just uh, aviation and flying. Absolutely. And I, I remember uh, really vividly when I was doing my flight training, and, and there's a point I think for a lot of people in flight training, maybe you guys would disagree, where you're kind of going from being the person who's just constantly wiggling the controls and sort of constantly moving everything and chasing everything, and then your instructor finally drives home the idea of attitude flying. You know, let's let's set the power, let's set the controls, let's pick a pitch attitude, and and see if that works and if that does work we're just going to hold it there we're just going to we're going to let the airplane do what it knows how to do and to me there was maybe it's a stretch but there was kind of a loose tie back to that idea of the early free flight stuff you sort of have to set everything up in advance and then let the airplane go and if you've done everything right the airplane is going to do what it knows how to do and then as i graduated to rc then you realize okay i can i can have fun in a very different way by actively participating through the entire flight i I mean there's a a direct transferability there i mean and i think we've all seen it you know from an rc standpoint that you know the individual that goes from rc to full scale um that transition is usually easier than going from full scale to rc um and and it's because of all those those very very basic fundamentals i think that you learn from a modeling standpoint, and, and it's all disciplines of modeling, whether it's free flight or control line or RC, you know, the things I think that you're learning um, and and that you are training to do to be competent on the RC side are almost all transferable to sitting in a cockpit and, and really understanding 
how that airplane is really flying and why it's behaving the way it is um, because you've been able to see that. You've been able to actually see it from a, a completely different perspective than sitting only in the cockpit. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, your early comments, uh, Hal. I mean, it's, that's exactly, you know, I think what I see. And I think it's why, you know, again, I mean, that person that makes that transition from RC to full scale, um, that tends to be, you know, an easier transition to make. Yeah, I totally agree with what Rick just said. And and Hal, to your point about the parallelism um, of the two disciplines or two two uh, lifestyles, if you will, um, it's kind of fun. My son, uh, who you know and have met, um, grew up as a modeler, uh, soloed in a glider on his 14th birthday, soloed in a Cessna 172, so you know made the transition to full size, still actively doing both, and now he's a freshman down in aerospace engineering at Embry-Riddle. What's fun to see is the things that he's learned throughout the years that come from free flight, that come from RC, um, the basic understanding of trimming, the basic understanding of stability and what makes an aircraft stable in all three axes. Um, now he's n- learning about and picking up the mathematics, the, the science, the, the physics, uh, the, the chemistry in some respects behind how you derive that. And it's really fun to see the, the light bulb come on and as he's learning these things, uh, threading those, those threads together to say, oh, okay, now, now I understand why dihedral does what it does. That's really, uh, I think that's a powerful lesson because it's one thing just to sit there with zero experience in a blank slate and then have somebody say, well, here's this concept and then here's how it works in practicality. If you come in into something, at least with that experience on the practical side, like you said, you know, and, and he's, Ryan's going to know, your son is going to know instinctively that, uh, okay, well, I put some dihedral on this airplane and it's going to be more stable. Um, or I look at an airplane, it's got, an, it's a high wing, it's got a nice dihedral to it. That's more likely to be a trainer than it is some crazy pattern, super aerobatic uh, monster. But that, that's instinctively telling him something. And now, as you said, he's in class learning the the theory and the physics behind it. That's terrific. What, what was fun to see, just as a perfect example this last semester, is they had a glider contest in one of his engineering classes that all the students had to pick a, a three-view of a design and trans- transfer that and actually uh, build a little balsa glider. Well, all the other students that perhaps didn't have that kind of a background were going for P-51 Mustangs and <laughs> you know all these uh, cool-looking airplanes. Right. Well, Ryan picked a, a, a Thorpe design because he knew the area and the plan form of the wing and the polyhedral and the tips would make Make for a very stable flying glider, and he absolutely cleaned the clocks of everybody else with it. Uh, that's that is just fantastic. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned sort of designing and building because that's something that uh, also translates so well into the world of full scale aviation. Um, you know, we've been to uh, uh, some events together, even yep. here locally, Rick. We see some of the giant scale RCs, and you start seeing third and half scale biplanes and Cubs and stuff like that, and you look at that and think. There's really no more uh, extra effort. You're so close that you could build something full scale, and all of a sudden you've gone from a modeler to a home builder. But even uh, even a typical off-the-shelf kit, even some of the old Gillows, balsa, Absolutely. tissue, free flight kits, you open that box and you've got a spar and you've got ribs, you've got plans. Uh, it's all very familiar. Well, and you go talk to you know our builders, you know, in EAA, um, and you start to talk to them about their background and somewhere almost invariably there is modeling um and and it's that learning 
um, to work with your hands, learning to work with tools, um, learning to do it the right way. Um, you know, you learn that, you know, whether you're a kid or an adult, you go build something from an RC standpoint and you don't build it correctly, it's not going to fly correctly either. Right. And so, you know, it, it's those fundamentals, I think, of, of you know, again, working with your hands and, and trying to do things the right way. Um, you know, reading plans, understanding what a plan is. Um, all, you know, extremely, extremely transferable. And, you know, while some of that has been, you know, lost a bit over the years on the RC side with the, you know, advent of almost ready to fly, you know, models and that, there's still a lot of us that love to build and, and get as much enjoyment out of the building side as, you know, the flying side. And, and it is something, you know, frankly, in the middle of winter, you know, makes for a great thing to do in the basement and have a project going and you know i know sean's the same way you know we always have a project going and you know whether it's more than one yeah yeah yeah. you know but whether it's something that you know we're going to go get done in the next two months or something that you know you're you're kind of picking away at over a couple years um but you know very very transferable skills well, and there's so many advantages to building, and I feel a little bit hypocritical to say this because I have a real weakness for a good ARF and almost ready to fly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything's right here in the box. I could open it up. I could be flying 10 minutes after I get home from the hobby store. Um, but uh, uh, there's something to be said, too, for because if you've built it, then you know how to fix it. Uh, odds are. Well, so how that's a really good point. And I am actually seeing that more and more with today's hobbyists that do have a background only with ARFs and have pursued and, and flown RC uh, almost ready to fly models is that uh, they do have an interest in learning more about how do I repair this thing? If, sure. if I bust up a wingtip by a botch landing, you know, it, it's not that hard to fix. But, you, you know, so the club members that are builders help those that aren't. And pretty soon they become builders. Uh, it's really cool to see that happen. That's great, and and that's I, I like hearing that because the uh, uh, you, you'd hate to see somebody um, discouraged from the hobby if they're saying you know what I'm the building side of it intimidates me, but I really want to try this. I want to sample it. I want to get started. You know, you'd never want to go to them and say, well, if you're not going to build it, then stay away. You know, go get your get your ARF, get your 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 basic thing. Um, you know, work with an instructor or a buddy box or something. Start learning how to learning how to do this, and uh, it and as you say, there's a, there's a path, there's a progression. I think people find that uh, after a while, you know what? Uh, I like this, but I would really like to fly one of these. And if I want to do that, then I've got to I've got to build it. Yeah, and the other thing that I see happening more and more too is for those that do develop those building skills, um, it's not uncommon now to see somebody that does acquire an ARF and they spend probably as much time, if not more, making all kinds of modifications and changes to it that at the end they've got a really nice model that started as an ARF, but all the things they did to it make it even that much more special. Well, and what a great great and, and almost perfectly safe environment to learn about modifying an airplane design absolutely yep you know rick you mentioned earlier well you, if you don't build it right it might not fly well but then the the corollary there is uh, you might find some ways to modify it to make it fly more like how you want it to if you want it to go faster or land shorter or whatever you want to do again that's where there's you know a tremendous amount of parallels um you know when you tie it back to um you know what we are all about from an ea standpoint 
Um, and, you know, it is a modeling, you know, gives you a platform to go do that and to learn. And, you know, and, and it goes, it can be the simplest, the simplest models. I mean, you know, I, I remember as, you know, a kid, you know, we all messed around with, you know, the dime store, you know, rubber band powered, you know, um, you know, airplanes that, you know, that you would bring home. But, you know, I remember, you know, even, you know, as a six, seven, eight year old kid modifying those and, and doing things to them to get them to fly differently. And, you know, you learn from that um, just as you would from a, you know, you know, a, a more complex, you know, model today. Absolutely. And it, as soon as you were saying that, Rick, I just I went flying back to uh, age probably five, maybe six or so. And I was a huge fan. We, you know, as a kid, we had Gillows and North Pacific. Yep. Gillows still going strong today, and that's wonderful. But I was a hardcore North Pacific fan. My Sleek Streaks, Sleek Streaks, Skeeters, Star Flyers, <laughs> uh, all of those things. And so these were, for those who don't know, uh, some were gliders. Most were uh, rubber-powered free flight thing, kind of the dime yeah. store thing, like yep. you were talking about. And, you know, that was always a great day. If I'm riding with mom to the grocery store and if I'm a relatively good boy, I might come home with another sleek streak and go fly that. And I always had all these ideas. I wanted to modify. I want to tinker with them and stuff like this. But, but when you've got maybe one at a time, I would be nervous about that. I felt held back. And then one year for my birthday, I got this giant box. You know, it was probably a two foot cube. But as a kid, I remember, you know, I felt like, well, a forklift had to deliver this thing. It was so gigantic and it was just overloaded with sleek streaks and star flyers. <laughs> it was just crammed full. And my mom just said, knock yourself out, go and experiment. So I was making, I made a bunch of multi-engine uh, little sleek streaks. I would take index cards and put control surfaces. I put flaps, <laughs> flaps. I put flaps on them for short takeoffs and little Robertson stole droop tips and stuff like that. And I learned so much from that. And, you know, I, I made some hilarious uh, mistakes and had nothing but fun. Yep. It's funny. I think all of us have uh, fond memories of that special. For me, it was uh, the, the, the Christmas that I got my first top flight Yeeski Nobler and opened up the, the, the kit to go, wow, uh, a, a actual you know, control line stunt model that is oh, competition wow. level uh, at the time, uh, for, especially for a junior. Um, it was really, I, I still to this day, very fondly remember that Christmas. Yep. Yep, and you get that uh, that same feeling in uh, in your gut, and it's it's all that same, it's all a flavor of that same core integral love of of aviation. Yep. So, uh, if there was somebody out there uh, out there listening to us, whether you you know a young person or maybe it's a parent with a young person that they think would want to get started. Uh, in uh, in in model aviation, I, I I think maybe specifically RC, but certainly they're you know free flight and and we've seen kind of a renaissance of control line over the last several years to a degree. But uh, what's uh, what's the first thing you tell that uh, that person to do, Sean? Uh, certainly, just like getting involved with full size aviation, go find the group in your area, be it a, a an AMA club or in the case of full size an EA chapter. And, and surround yourself by people that, that have the experience and the knowledge and can help you and guide you go down the right paths. Because 
I think to a certain degree, like full-size, modeling does have a fair amount of people that try it, get discouraged by it, and don't continue on because they don't know the right things to choose and and the right ways to learn. And they perhaps take too big a leaps too fast and come up with airplanes that that give them a bad experience. So it's it's so important to do things in the right way. I mean, Rick, would you agree with that? Yeah, I I would agree 100%. I mean, I think... You know, go out on the the AMA website, the Academy of Model Aeronautics website. Um, go find a, a club nearby. Um, get out to the field. Get out there on a Saturday morning um, and see what's going on out there. Um, you know, because as Sean said, I think there's, um, you know, obviously times have changed, you know, from, you know, when, when we got involved in, in RC in terms of what that process is to a, to a certain degree. Um, you know, in that you can go to, you know, you can go to your hobby shop, you can go pick up a small foam RC airplane and, you know, 15 minutes later, you can be attempting to fly that out in your backyard. Um, and sometimes that leads to the right place. A lot of times though, it leads to, I'm going to keep doing that until I don't have an airplane that's flyable anymore. And then, okay, I tried RC and I'm done. I think getting out to a, you know, an AMA club field and seeing what, model aviation really is and where it can lead i think is a a big deal and you know that's where you're going to have your best experiences in terms of truly learning to fly um you know know, most clubs will have folks that are there that are willing to help that act as instructors uh and and that's really what you need um i think to do it you know, the right way and and to um, end up with a really good experience in doing so. And, and model aviation, like full-size aviation, it really is about the experience. It's not instant gratification. It's not something you can just go do instantaneously and be successful at. It's, it's a process of developing skills and abilities and knowledge that ends in the ultimate human experience, which is achievement. And that's what's spe- just like full size. That's what's special about absolutely. it. Absolutely right. It's one of those things. It's it's not uh, it's not always easy, but it's absolutely worth it. Yep. You know, you get out of it. Uh, you get out of it what you put into it. You know, both of you guys have have mentioned AMA, the Academy of Model Aeronautics. Uh, we're all members. I've, I've probably been an AMA member longer than I've been an EAA member, in fact. And out uh, of um, uh, Sean or or Rick, whichever ever one of you. Um, maybe talk for just a moment about EA's relationship with AMA. It's a very, uh, a very close partner organization of ours. Sure, how I'll start. Um, you're right. I've been a member since the late '70s, not long after Rick uh, signed up. I'm very proud that I have a five-digit AMA number, uh, lifetime member, actually of both AMA and EA. And you know, we have worked very, very well together over the past decade to build the relationships and build the partnerships and strengths of each organization. I've Rick and I both. Have long said that there are two parallel universes with lots of crossover. Uh, and, and if you go to an AMA club uh, or an EA chapter monthly meeting, if you close your eyes, it's pretty hard to tell which one you're at because they both have the same feel, same culture, same interest, same passion for aviation, same characters. Yes. In many ways. Yes. Oh, yeah, just on a different scale. But the bottom line is the the the, the essence of that uh, that that group and that activity is very much the same. Um, 
we, uh, uh, my area of EAA, of course, is the flight up side as well as the advocacy side. So we have worked well together with AMA in supporting a number of advocacy initiatives uh, as these, particularly as these new UAS rules have emerged and helping to carve out and, and protect to some degree legacy model aviation. There have been some, some rules that have been um, developed that does affect it, but overall you can still pursue legacy model aviation and RC control line free flight and very much the way you've always been able to. Um, the, the latest uh, aspect of, of remote ID and, and um, modeling and club activity has been the establishment of FRIAs and we've been very involved and helpful with that. Uh, again, partnering with AMA, supporting AMA. Um, and things like uh, we just yesterday, we participated in a safety risk management panel, which the FAA calls an SRM, for establishment of a higher than what would normally be authorized altitude for an existing model field or a FRIA. And, um, you know, we, we, it's a great partnership. Together, we're stronger. Um, you know, we have 254,000 members. They have just over 200,000 members. Very parallel universes in so right. many respects. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And, and, you know, we've, you know, as, you know, Sean looks at it from, you know, an advocacy standpoint um, and a government relations standpoint, you know, programmatically, um, you know, we've, you know, we've, I think, been able to move the needle forward quite a bit over the last, uh, the last several years, um, you know, and yeah, it goes back probably 10 years ago when we really started to engage more with, with AMA. Uh, but over the last two or three years, uh, you know, the development of our build and fly program, for example, um, you know, this is the opportunity for a, you know, an EAA chapter to go team up with an AMA club uh, on a youth activity um, that winds up, you know, in the, the full construction of a, you know, an electric uh, uh, SIG cadet um, and and so you've got the build aspect to it, and then working with the AMA folks, um, your local club, as a uh, a way to go out and fly and teach kids to go fly RC. And we've had a lot of successes with that. We again teamed with with Sig. We've teamed with Horizon Hobbies to make this a very very affordable way for a chapter to embark on a program like this. Um, you know, with with the significant discounts that we get um, and some underwriting, um, you know, we basically sell the entire package to a, a chapter to go build this, you know, SIG E Cadet, and and it's everything. It's tools. It's covering. It's radio. It's it's you know everything that you need. Um, and it's an, a very affordable way for a chapter to go do this. And, and what it does, most importantly, is it strikes this relationship at a local level between an EA chapter and an AMA club. And because there's so much transferability there, you know, those are the kind of relationships I think we need more of. It's a way to bring kids and families into aviation. Um, and because it's being done you know, under kind of the EAA umbrella with AMA, they're being introduced to full-scale aviation as much as they are being introduced to model aviation. Right. And I I love when we see pictures of a a build-and-fly project, you know, that's taking place in a chapter hangar, and, you know, there might be an RV or a Sonex or something under construction at the other end of the building, and it's just... Same process, different materials, but all the, you know, a rib is a rib. <laughs> Everything looks the same. And and I think uh, 
that blurs that uh, that blurs that line like we were talking about at the beginning. And how it's really neat. Rick and I both have seen the the development and the the, the outgrowth of these relationships between the clubs and the chapters actually. Uh, capstone in some respects in many places um, with joint events where yep. you'll see an aviation event with both you know families bring their kids out and they get some buddy box experience with an RC trainer and then they go climb into an EAA member uh, member's airplane and do a young eagle flight sure um, so those types of joint activities just really strengthen everything about this and it's it's just fun to see the engagement on the uh, on the youth side around something like this um, you know, let's face it, we, we live in a, a time where, you know, it's not as common for kids to pick up tools and, you know, to work with their hands in that way. And now all of a sudden you've got a whole group of kids around a table looking at a set of plans, looking at a box of wood, basically, going, okay, you know, we're going to take what's in this box and we're going to make that. <laughs> and and that's not that's not necessarily a common activity. Um, you know, so not only does it introduce, you know, a kid to potentially, you know, boy, maybe I want to go fly. Well, uh, maybe I want to be an engineer. Maybe I want to, you know, do something else, you know, STEM related. Um, all of that comes out of that activity. And, and, and again, we've just seen great results with it. It's, it's a, uh, you know, we would encourage more chapters to look into the program, encourage more AMA clubs to reach out to the local EAA chapter and say, hey, why don't we do this? Uh, because it really can work. And those, uh, those build and fly kits include, the, I mean, the core is around this, this SIG E-Cadets, pretty good-sized airplane. And yep. I remember when I was learning, uh, somehow when you're a kid and you're learning something like RC, you feel like, well, I should fly the smaller airplanes. The bigger ones are, you know, for the big people, and that's kind of scary. And that was until the first time I flew a cadet. It's not a small not a small airplane, but four and a half, five. 74 inch wingspan. Oh, I say, on, so six, on this, uh, six, I think. And, six foot uh, wingspan, and but it's it's big, it's slow. You can still see it even when it's a little ways away. It's at relative slow speed. All those great things that make a good uh, a good trainer, even Absolutely. if it seems a little bit counterintuitive to a to a kid. Um, but those kits also include uh, they is it the Vapor, the little Horizon indoor yep. model. Um, there's uh, don't they also include that the real flight yep. uh, flight simulator? Yep, it, they do. So you know the intent was you know okay, so we've got a bunch of kids in a hangar on a Saturday. You know, they're engaged in the build, but inside that same hangar, they could be flying the vapor. There can be, you know, kids, you know, on a flight simulator, you know, and, you know, we've tried to put all of that in there to, to make this, you know, very comprehensive, you know, program. And, you know, our chapters team has done a great job of putting, you know, handbooks and material together to help you organize it in a way where it will be a successful thing. And, you know, so it winds up being, you know, probably several weekends of building. Um, and then once you've got it done, you're out there, you know, at the, you know, local AMA club flying and, and teaching kids how to fly. That's, it's just fantastic. Um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit uh, at, at certainly at the beginning about how much things have changed over the years. And certainly, you know, we look back with the kind of an amused nostalgia at at the early, early, really primitive days of RC flying, where it seemed like you had equipment about the size of a refrigerator and, and maybe you had one button that would be rudder control or something for your airplane way out there. And and that has, uh, has like everything else, has changed so much and gotten so much more sophisticated electric power. Uh, has seen uh, absolutely phenomenal changes in the RC world over the, what, 15, 20 years or so, where it used to be 
kind of a novelty and kind of an afterthought now it's it's very very viable um some of us will always be nostalgic for the smell of the fuel and and the the blisters from a hot glow plug and and things like that but uh um, all this stuff has progressed so much and we mentioned briefly the uh simulator package that comes in there there is no substitute for actually being outside and getting hands-on and things like that. But I have to say, you guys know my, my background is in flight simulation prior to EAA. And I'd say that the uh, a good RC simulator, probably real flight probably being um, uh, among the best, um, developed by our IAC president, in fact, uh, Jim Bork, um, is uh, one of the most sort of compelling and most complete sort of one-to-one simulation experiences I've ever had. I mean, it's as... It's in its way closer to the real thing, in my opinion, than going to flight safety and getting in their level D Boeing 787 simulator in the cockpit. Uh, it, it just you hold a real transmitter in your hand and you're you're just watching this little airplane move around. So for those that are uh, interested in getting into it, I think that's a that can be a really valuable uh, a valuable step because when you're not out at the flying field you can still be at home sharpening your skills you can still be home getting better you can you can do some yep. of your crashes virtually and and get some of that out of the way so you're having a more hopefully more rewarding experience out at the field well it was it was fun this past summer or uh, maybe summer before when we had the kids out at the RC field flying the e cadet so we you know got some local kids to come out and you put them on you put them on the airplane. Um, you know, we had a buddy box, and 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 you know here would be this you know ten year old kid. You hand you know you hand him the transmitter, and you know just doing a phenomenal job. And it's like, well, have you ever done this before? And and well, no, this is the first time I've really been out to you know a field like this doing this. And I said, well, you've got to have some experience. Well, I've I've got a you know a, a RC flight sim at home. And you can absolutely see the difference. And, and you know, for anybody, any age, it's a great way to, you know, not only learn, but also sharpen skills. Absolutely. All right. Um, Sean, you know, you mentioned something a bit ago that sparked something for me, and that was you're talking about the idea of sort of joint events, like you might come out and do some RC flying, some buddy box flying, get a Young Eagles flight. At uh, You know, over the years, we've seen that uh, in a different way and on a different scale, but we've seen that at AirVenture, and that's something that I know – uh, not to speak for you two guys, but I think all three of us were pretty excited to see RC flying becoming a part of AirVenture. Um, I, if if either of you, if that's Rick, is on features and traction side, or we we share it, and yeah. and you're absolutely right, Hal. We have uh, Rick and I both have been we're right in the middle of of really establishing more and more radio control and modeling activity um, across the field, whether it be the Fun Fly Zone uh, in the evening time frame with uh, all the, the the really amazing uh, 3D demonstrations in the the night lit third scale aerobatic RC aircraft that are phenomenal. Just staggering. And in the last couple of years, we've actually had um, some of those acts perform uh, actually out on the flight line uh, in multiple locations along the flight line, and the crowd reaction is phenomenal. Uh, I remember I had the FAA administrator, uh, Steve Dixon, up on the roof, t- the, the uh, Airbus uh, shack on the, t- you know, the top where all the Airbuses work and, and do their jobs. And he was up uh, watching this, and he looked at me afterwards, and he said, I thought it was going to crash three separate times. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just a level of performance that those aircraft can can exhibit that uh, in, in many ways is far and above any full-size airplane. It's pretty phenomenal to see. Well, yeah, you look at the capabilities, uh, and you're talking about something that's uh, maybe it's a third scale, but it's far less than a third of the weight and has, you know, uh, proportionally so much more horsepower uh, and 
And then, and then uh, I know all of us over the years, you guys in the winter do indoor flying. I really like indoor flying with small electrics. And you're seeing uh, things happen with variable pitch propellers. You know, you're seeing sort of Bugs Bunny style uh, reversals in midair with RC it, models. They call that 4D. 4D, that, yeah, that's exactly right. Adding that extra extra dimension to it, and it's amazing to see. But but uh, you know, over the years at AirVenture, and um, I think one thing that was interesting for me to see is that uh, uh, any of us on staff that thought that getting some more modeling happening at AirVenture, Twilight Flight Fest, and things you were just talking about, Sean and Rick. Um, there were some people who, who needed a little education, yep. you know, I think to understand that. And, and it, it circles back to that, uh, the mindset we've all discussed that, uh, uh, and, and no disrespect to anyone on staff, because I think once you show them what it's about, it clicks and then they get it, but there's still, there are some people who have it in their minds. Well, you do models, then you do full scale and, and those two things are, are, are separate. And we're AirVenture. We're EAA. We're all about uh, strictly full-scale flying. And when we, when we introduce these elements at AirVenture, we, we get to show people, look, if it, if it flies, if you can fly it and enjoy flying it, we love it. Well, and I think we can't forget, too, that um, you know, we need to always be focusing on pathways into aviation. Um, you know, how do we make it easy for people to engage? How, how do we create that initial interest, whether that is in a youth or in an adult? And you know, I remember that, I mean, the first night that we did the, uh, the Twilight Flight Fest, um, you know, so that was, you know, three or four years ago when, when we introduced that. And, you know, we had a couple of the top 3DRC guys, you know, and, and young guys down there flying. Um, the reaction of the crowd was amazing because almost all of them had never seen anything like that before. And, and now I look at what goes on down at Twilight Flight Fest, and it's become a key part of, of the event and, and one that just keeps growing. I know this past year it was amazing to see the crowds that were down there. And, and it's not just RC. We've got, obviously, the Stoll competition going down there. You know, we've got 3D RC going. We've got, we had hang gliding this past year. Um, but the whole idea with that area is to introduce new facets of aviation, maybe things that people haven't looked at before, um, introduce that to them, um, but especially introduce things that, you know, folks can look at and go, well, you know, I could do that. I could start to participate that way. And that's really, really important. It was great to see the amount of families and kids down there, you know, on the nights that we're doing it. Because, again, that's what we're trying to do. When you look at Oshkosh, you look at what AirVenture is all about, so much of it is really about sharing and introducing those exposures to aviation. This is just another way to do it. Well, and and Rick, to that point, what's amazing about AirVenture is you can go down to the, the Fun Fly Zone, you can see those activities, you can get all excited and jazzed up about that, and then a family with their, their kids can then make their way the next day over to KidVenture yep. and actually get hands-on and, and try flying. And then in the evening, um, you know, Rick and I have put together an actual RC field that AMA and Horizon Hobbies both do a great job with the opportunity to buddy box and and folks that are RC enthusiasts get to fly there and people that want to learn to fly get the chance to do that it's 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 the only at airventure can you have that breadth of of uh, overall immersion with aviation right and it's and 
you can participate i think almost as much as you want it's if you just if you want to buy a wristband and walk in and watch an air show and watch out walk out you've had one experience but if you want to be here dawn till dusk and do everything from as you said from from watching to then getting hands-on and ending your day actually maybe flying a model airplane for the first time that's really spectacular uh you know very quickly we're getting a bit close to the end um We've we've mentioned the term buddy box a couple of times. Just for those who don't under uh, may not understand exactly what that is, uh, Sean, can you clarify that for people yeah, listening? It, it's in many ways. I wish we had it uh, to that level in full size. It, it's <laughs> it's a wonderful technology that enables two tra- radio transmitters uh, to be linked together. And in today's world, that they're actually linked through um, not a cable, but but actually just Bluetooth together. Um, and it's it's a wonderful system that uh, enables an instructor to work with uh, somebody who's new to flying models and be able to provide inputs, corrections, and even take over all the controls if necessary and also provide the controls at various levels. You can start with just the simplest forms of controls and then add additional like throttle and things like that. That The, uh, the BuddyBox system is just an amazing technology that enables learning to be that much easier. A lot different than the days of handing the transmitter <laughs> back and forth because I remember more than one time the transmitter winding up on the ground <laughs> <laughs> in the transfer wasn't quite as successful because everybody's busy looking at the airplane and you're yeah. the urgent Hand comment of, you got it yes <laughs> you know as it's you know you're in an inverted flat spin uh take it and then, yeah. as you said the transmitter's on the ground suddenly nobody's flying uh flying the poor airplane like that oh my gosh well guys this has been uh this has been a lot of fun to talk about, and, uh, and and hopefully people have enjoyed listening. And we'd love to see uh, and hear from people who about their own uh, model aviation experiences. Uh, obviously, we've we've mentioned our good friends at the Academy of Model Aeronautics AMA multiple times. We have, uh, if you're an EAA member, uh, if I remember correctly, you do get a discount on your uh, initial AMA membership. There's lots of sort of cross pollination, lots of good benefits. Um, Frankly, I think we'd all be uh, we'd all be happy if everybody was a member of both. Absolutely, you know I think uh, you know in the end there's strength in numbers and you know as as Sean has said we've all said here you know today um, just so much crossover between the two and uh, you know again I think that strength in numbers is a big deal and when we can work together you know whether it's from a programming standpoint or from an advocacy standpoint that all benefits aviation. You're here. All right. Well, thanks, uh, both of you guys, for taking the time to uh, to come down and have this conversation. I have a feeling we could probably talk all day and do another uh, 12 episodes uh, just uh, just sharing good good flying stories and, and what we love about, you know, all aspects of aviation, whether we get to ride along or watch from the ground. Uh, but uh, thank you both again. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. Thanks to all of you who take the time to uh, leave us a review over on iTunes or uh, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you consume your podcasts. We also greatly appreciate the comments that we get uh, as each episode of the show has an entry on EAA's Hangar Flying blog at inspire.ea.org. People leave comments there after the episodes, and those mean a lot to us and help us uh, shape the content going forward. Uh, you can also send your feedback to feedback at ea.org and that'll find uh, its way to uh, to all of us both the hosts and the unsung hero of the whole thing our producer christina who's behind a board uh 
I thought she was going to frown at me for mentioning her name, but she's actually bowing. So, uh, so hooray for Christina and many thanks uh, for all the effort she does to, uh, to take what we record and, and put it together and get it out there uh, for everyone to listen. So please keep the feedback coming. Keep those reviews coming. Uh, stay listening. Get out there and, and fly uh, whatever it is. Build enjoy it immerse yourself in that world of aviation and we'll look forward to catching up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot